0: How now, brown cow? How, How now, now, brown, brown
1: cow. cow? Just, just rip a bugle, huh? No. Okay. <laughs> right, work. right.
0: Did, did I need yep. to be able to do that? I don't have any. No, problems. no, you're, you're, you're good. Okay. You're, you'll all be
1: right. okay. I figured if you did the, it probably blows, blow our speakers out, right?
0: Oh yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, no worries. How you been?
0: Uh good, good.
1: How about you? Yeah, doing all right, man. Can't, can't complain. It's hot. Good. I know that.
0: Oh my God, it's a hundred degrees here today too. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah, here too in Cedar, which we we only hit 100 maybe a week, maybe a year, if that, you know. But the last couple of days, it's been a scorcher.
0: Yeah. I'll be in Vegas
1: tomorrow. It's supposed to be 117.
0: Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Good times, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, yesterday, I think, was the first day we've hit 100 this year. But Mm -hmm. it set some kind of a record from where it went from zero to hot. Um, yeah. Like in like X many hours, like, I don't know when it was like nine o'clock in the morning, it, it was pretty hot out. Um, yeah. And then ma- I, massive temperature swing. I thought it'd be a great idea to go to the mountains and set trail cameras. And, uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> I got, hey, you got like, camera You got cameras out.
0: Oh yeah. Just now. Yeah. Just finally, finally. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a little late. I usually try to put them out like, uh, around the 4th of July, mm-hmm. but, uh, this year just, I've been busy man. And just, I can't seem to get, get up there to the Hills as much as I want. So finally getting some out. Um, so hopefully.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm going to, I was recording that, but let me, I want to talk about that here in a sec, but I'm going to do yeah. a quick promo read. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, if you can hear, if you can hear Dirk's voice, there's probably no distinction about who I got on the podcast today. I got Dirk Durham on. Oh, Hey there. Uh, you, you got a you got a voice that I think people know, huh? It's probably from all the the content that you've done, and then uh, I don't know. People just seem to really like you, so you, Maybe, they, they probably probably bit. know your voice.
0: <laughs> I've been told to have a face for radio, so
1: <laughs> that's what I get told. I have, I, have a, I don't know. I've got I got a face for radio and a voice for I don't know what. It's it's always yeah. breaking. I'm, it's like I I never turned thirteen, is what it sounds like. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, I'm going to do a quick promo read, get that out of the way so I can talk to Dirk and get down to, to business. But um, for those of you guys that are still looking to pick up an insider research account, uh, you can use the promo code GAMETRAIL. That's the name of the podcast, GAMETRAIL. Um, there's still an opportunity to pick up some tags. you got Colorado over-the-counter tags coming up, going on sale August 1st. Uh, you've got Utah general season elk tags that are going on sale. There's still a bunch of time to, to do some research, pick up an elk tag, and you know, with your membership, you're gonna get points back on all your purchases in the Go Hunt Gear Shop, which is a pretty cool addition. You get one point, one dollar. Um, you can use it to buy some bugle tubes or a new diaphragm, right? That's right. Yeah. So anyway, I got I got Dirk Durham on today. He was nice enough to I think I hit you up on what, Saturday probably? Friday or Saturday.
0: I, I think it was Friday or Saturday.
1: <laughs> and yeah. I was like, Hey, can you do a podcast next week? And he's like, Sure. And I said, How about Monday? So that was that was kind of you to to jump on and be so facilitating
0: yeah absolutely um, you you got me in a r- really good tra- time beca- between trips so yeah um, where are you so headed Be good um, headed to Fargo tomorrow uh, to do some uh, uh, training employee training for shields Um mm-hmm. then they, they go up back there and do speed training with uh, a bunch of their new employees um, so it's uh, what is it's it, what does that fun.
1: include is it like a seminar do you get a chance to to take five or six people aside and kind of give them some some instruction on how to use calls or what does that entail?
0: Yeah, so um, it's it's funny. It's like kind of speed training. Last year was I got eight minutes. This year I get 10 minutes, and they have mm-hmm. groups of, let's say, eight or 10 or 12 uh, employees that come around, and you do your spiel for um, 10 minutes, and then they're like, eh, and then you got an, another group. And mm-hmm. I do this from like 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. So mm. um, it's kind of the same same spiel over and over again, um, yep. but it does vary a little bit because there's always some questions in the group, and it seems like some of some of the folks are. I think they're from stores that may or may not even have um, any help calls in them. Um, sure. and, and then definitely the the stores like some of the ones like in Colorado or something. Those 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 employees are just okay. Tell us more about this, and tell us more about that. Can we get you know they're they're all in, into it. So uh, some people right. just kind of glaze over.
1: Yeah. I get to, uh, here in a week, I fly to Eugene and we've been, we've been asked, we're kind of working in conjunction with this cam Haynes lift run shoot. I guess he's got like a camp kind of a, you know, camp people pay and they can come up and go to this camp. And our portion of it is, uh, you know, how to, how to get permits. So whether, you know, you apply or where over the counter permits are available in the West. So it's kind of a seminar. So when they gave us the agenda, I looked at it and I was like, "Oh, I think it's—I think I got about an hour, hour and a half." And so I was thinking, "Oh, I got about an hour and then probably half hour worth of Q and A." Uh, and they told us I think they were like 200, 250 people, and I was like, oh, "That's not bad, an hour and a half." And then uh, I got the agenda the other day, and they're going to rotate them through in groups, so it's like an hour and a half per group. So Holy I've got like, moly. <laughs> yeah, I've got like five, six hours me and Brady of of uh, talking talking state draws and draw odds and all that fun stuff so that's probably more talking than I'll do in a month but it, it'll be okay <laughs>
0: that's yeah. awesome yeah you're, so, by so the, how you
1: been how, how's your summer prep going
0: ah good good um summer's just been man kind of flying by just been so busy with work stuff you know um we mm-hmm. had a new Eagle Tube launch and that's that's taken up a lot of bandwidth getting everything from photo assets, video assets and get everything edited and uploaded and ready to go for the launch. That's been super, mm-hmm. super busy the last month. So um yeah. and now now I'm trying to shift and into um try to get, you know, prepared for season. But I got a few of these other work trips that kinda keep popping up. So um, yeah you know a guy just doesn't get to run free and, and easy like everyone probably thinks, you know, oh those guys got it made. They work in the hunting industry. All they do is hunt and have fun. But Man, it just seems like your time can get away from you. And pretty soon you're trying to cram in a whole bunch of stuff into a little bit of time, which I'm not complaining. That's just the way the nature of the business works.
1: Yeah. Summers are busy. I know every year I've got huge plans to like get out and scout. I'm going to get, you know, 18 days or something to scouting and find a giant buck. And it seems like every summer just stuff pops up, you know, whether it's a, yeah. you know, a, tri- a trip, I think we're going to run up to tack the end of this week and, and shoot some arrows with some friends and do some content. And then, you know, same thing, fly to Eugene the next weekend. So it's just like those days just clip away and the summer does, it burns quick.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, just family stuff or friends <laughs> or you know, distant families pretty soon you got things pop up with them and man you just you don't get enough mountain time.
1: But, yeah. Yeah, never know? enough mountain time I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. So you uh I wanna talk about Bugle Tube here in a second, but you just said before we were talking, um you said you've been out setting trail cameras and Yeah is that like close to home or do you, do you travel to set trail cameras Um, up and how, I mean, do you, you, are you using that when you hunt is some sort of tactic or you just kind of want to know what's in the area or how are you using trail cameras?
0: Yeah. I kind of want to just, I'm trying to get a gauge on what there is in the area where I'm hunting, um, or I'm, or I'm possibly going to hunt. So this area, it's probably about a three hour drive, three and a half hour drive from my house. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not super familiar with it. I've done some camping there with family stuff, but I've never, hunted it and um you know sometimes without just hiking every every hole and trying to figure it out which is pretty hard to do in the middle of summer when it's hot and especially Mm -hmm. if you have your limit on time um it's it's pretty tough to sometimes dig out every elk in the area or or maybe what the potentials are so um i'll go out and set trail cameras and uh let them sit and just kind of see what there is out there and Mm -hmm. um kind of go from there Um, let them sit for a few weeks and kind of see what see if it's you know there's reason to come back elk hunting or maybe i want to go to another spot are you mostly putting them on water then uh sometimes i'll put them on wallows Uh, a lot of times i'll do i'll make a mineral lick so you have to be really careful on your on your state laws um Mm -hmm. if you know a lot of a lot of uh, states including idaho you can't hunt over a mineral lick um Mm -hmm. so you know, you can't put it there with the intent to hunt, but a lot of times I'll put them in an the area that maybe will draw some animals out of a big drainage to that spot. And then, um, the men, you know, the salt or whatever, it gives them a reason to come in front of the camera. And then you're like, okay, yeah, well there's there's quite a few yeah. cow elk here. or There's some bulls or whatever. But, uh, what I've always seen, um, is, is about August 15th or so. If, let's say I have a bunch of bulls on camera about August 15th or right around that window, they all disappear and they're gone. Yep. (laughs) So, um, you really want to find cows on your trail cameras, but, but if you're finding bulls in the summertime, a lot of time and no cows, it's like, oh, this is fun. But, um, a lot of times the game changes, so they're not going to be there anyway. So, um, but it just kind of gives you the huh?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing with elk. It's, it's really hard. I've told people before that I think they're, I think they're really hard to hunt like a specific bull, especially if you're just. I mean, I've told this story before, but I had a Utah tag a number of years ago, and I scouted 18 days. is kind of like, oh, if I can get 18 days, you know. But I, I did for that hunt. I scouted 18 days, and this one bull I found. I think I found him on the. I don't know. It might have been the second or third trip I made, but I think I saw that bull every single time I went out and 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 looked for him. And he was he was probably like a three. I bet he was like a 380 type of bull. I mean, a big bull, and. um I thought oh yeah I'm going to I'm going to hunt that bull but I knew I kind of had that window maybe that cuz in Utah that hunt opens up in August it's a kind of a mid August opener and uh I thought well I've got 2 weeks essentially probably to to hunt that bull because then I'm not going to see him anymore you know cuz they just move and I saw him the opening day of that hunt and I had him at like 93 yards, and I had uh, I had a, a like a mid 360s bull between me and him that was 45 yards broadside that I should have laced, like I should have oh, shot that bull. Man. But I thought, oh, there's a 380 bull right there, you know, and it's only you know opening day, but that's the last time I ever saw that bull. Just disappeared. I have no clue where he went. I don't know. He just got feeling a little ruddy and just disappeared or what. But I could never find that thing again.
0: Oh man, man. Yeah, that's always the the tough part. Like bird and hand are worth two in the bush, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. How do you go? I mean, so you you put up some cams, and I think that's I think I I think cameras are really handy for hunting muleys, you know, in, in mule deer. Like if I could find a deer on a camera in the summer, I got probably like through the maybe the first week of October, I think I can hunt that buck in that general area and probably turn him up. But like you said, for elk, if you're finding bulls on your camera in the summer, you know, July August time frame, they they kind of disappear and it's hard to say where they're going to end up but um how do you go about hunting early season stuff like say you've got a you know a general season tag in colorado and you've done some scouting, and you found some bulls maybe you've got like the first part of september that you're going to try to hunt those bulls how do you like how do you go about hunting them do you do a lot of calling that first week of september or do you i mean how does that work for you
0: well i've hunted colorado for elk um one time and it Mm -hmm. was, uh, September 1st to the 10th or 9th, I think. And, um, we, we ran our normal, our normal play of, you know, bugle, bugle, cow call, you know, Mm -hmm. um, using calls and the area had a ton of people. And I think that was probably the worst of it is like, there was just people everywhere. There was a lot of elk, but there was, I think at the end of the trailhead there, uh, there was like 37 pickups parked. And then (laughs) between the trailhead and then the paved road, it was like, I kind of like over a hundred pickups. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. I've never seen nothing like it anywhere. Um, but I think that's kind of like par for the course in a lot of places in Colorado, um, from Mm -hmm. what people tell me, but, uh, anyhow, um, I immediately thought we got to do something different than other people are doing. So, a lot of folks, you know, just doing a lot of cow calls, like especially early season. A lot of people, they think, Oh yeah, I need a cow call a lot because bulls are not really talking as much. And, and um, they're probably going to be more likely to come to a cow call. But a lot of times what I've found is early season, And this is just my anecdotal experience is a lot of times the bulls don't really care too much for a cow call. Um, Unless let's say it's a bull that's already has some cows then he'll usually answer a cow call, but sometimes they won't even answer a cow call. But when you bugle at them, they will. And it's almost like they're, they know it's not quite time. They haven't smelled that, that, that smell they're always looking for, for with the ladies and, um, it's more of a like pecking order or, Hey, who's that guy that's in my spot? Like, this is my area. I've already worked out pecking order. What's that new bull doing here? And, Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes when I've called them in, it hasn't been, they, they don't, they don't give you one of those great big bugles. You're like, Oh my God, that thing is mad. Here he comes. They, I've never just really had them like have that really nasty bugle, but it's more of like, you know, just a kind of a regular bugle, if not, maybe somewhat timid. Um, and then they they come in just out of curiosity. I think that's just my personal opinion, but um, gotcha. and I think there's a lot of things that kind of, you know, can, fit into that, the changes, the dynamic, let's say there are some cows and maybe one has come into heat. I think that changes everything. But Mm -hmm. if you're in an area where there's still some bulls that haven't got gathered with the cows yet, um, I'm, I'm going to be trying to bugle them in.
1: Do you, are you using just a, like a typical, like a locator beagle? So you use a locator beagle and then like a challenge beagle, same, same type of call that you would use, you know, potentially maybe the, maybe you get into that middle time frame when those bulls should be running typically like the 10th through the 20th or 25th. Are you using right. the same type of calling setup during that early season as you are like peak of the rut?
0: I'm probably not going to get as aggressive on the calls. Like I'm not going to hit them with challenge beagles too quickly. Um, mm-hmm. Especially in that early season, I found if I kind of call to the the bull's disposition, if he's kind of giving me these half-hearted bugles that aren't real aggressive, I'm going to keep giving him those until something changes on his end. When 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 he escalates finally, when he escalates, then I'm going to escalate a little bit. But um, later in the season, as they seem to bulls seem to escalate a little quicker, and 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 so do I. But it seems like that early season, I, I don't want to overdo it. I don't, I don't want to be like making, I don't want to scare him off with too, too an aggressive of a bugle, like a big, big, nasty challenge bugle. He might be like, Hey, Whoa, man, I I don't want to fight. I just want to see who you are, or check you out a little bit, or maybe, maybe I do want to fight, but I don't know if I want to fight yet. Definitely. I right. want to take a look at you first. Um, right. It could be something like that, but
1: do you, do you use cow calls much though? Like, I mean, I when, do. when do you when do you work in a cow call? Because you said earlier, like a lot of guys early season, they think you know, kind of the kind of their thought process is that you know that a bull might be out looking for cows at that point. Like he's just kind of tiptoeing around, just kind of seeing what's out there. And I think that's why guys use cow calls early. Um, do you, why not cow calls early? I I think
0: if I'm hunting around a lot of a lot of people, so let me clarify. If I'm hunting around a lot of people, like in that situation, I explained before, um, then everybody in there, you know, there's going to be 37 guys or maybe twice that many if they have a a partner with them, blowing a cow call with a lot of frequency. Um, that doesn't mean I won't use one, but I will maybe be a little more subtle with it. Um, I'm not going to blow it often over and over and over again and real loud. Maybe I'll be a little more soft and a little more subtle with it. Um, and I'll try to find the reaction, right? If we do get a bull bugle on and if he, if he reacts well to a cow call, definitely um, feed him some more of those. But um, I'm just going to try to figure out it. And I always say like calling elk is kind of like an experiment to me because you just never know whether it's September 1st or September 30th, what they're going to bite on. Um, They may, and I feel like each situation is like so bull specific and then, there's the timing of the rut specific, and then, and then the stuff you don't know about. Maybe he's been, maybe got his butt kicked last night, and you don't even know anything about it. Or maybe yeah. he did all the butt kicking the night before. It, it's mm-hmm. just I think there's so many variables there. That's why I'm always trying to like kind of experiment, find out what they like, what they will respond to, and then just kind of keep playing, playing off of that, keep feeding them those kind of calls till that changes. But yeah. I I will say some in the, some of those situations for some of them when let's say maybe in the beginning of like when i find this bull and he gets he get we locate we locate him and he replies vocally then um let's say he didn't reply to cow calls at all he didn't wouldn't bite but maybe if i start talking to him for like 30 minutes or an hour goes by and we still haven't made a connection we haven't seen each other yet or he hasn't come in (laughs) close enough to to shoot
1: he didn't get your tinder notification
0: (laughs) (laughs) he he didn't swipe right (laughs)
1: didn't swipe right (laughs) then
0: (laughs) so um as that conversation progresses i'll keep throwing in a few cow calls just subtle cow calls here and there and sometimes i've had them at you know further along in the conversation they start biting on that cow call then they start being like hey Start calling the cows too, so that's good right. that's good for escalation because then I can escalate a little bit and say, Hey, don't talk to my cows,
1: yeah, it's a lot of trial and error, huh, like when you go out in the woods and you're kind of working through the elk woods and you're you're trying a few things. I think a lot of people think that you know top level callers or you know even people that have been pretty successful hunting elk, I think that they generally think that people have just got it always figured out, you know that they've got this plan figured out when they when they get out there and i I certainly don't you know and I've looked at a lot of content. I've heard a lot of people, you know, talk and they'll say, I know, you know, I kind of know exactly what this bull's saying. And, and, and you kind of do to some point with some experience, but I mean, and, and I'm, I'm by no means the greatest elk hunter, but like a lot of it's just trial and error. It's kind of like what you're saying. You're just kind of filling it out as you're out there. Cause you don't really know. I mean, they could be, you could have a cow and estrus September 5th and they're just ripping, you know, or you could have it you know, completely dead and, and then work yourself into a bull that, that seems like he's a little bit responsive. And then it's just knowing how to play that bull based on kind of what he's giving you. But yeah, yeah. It's, to, to me anyway, it's a lot of trial and error.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you, you'd like to say I've got this playbook that every time it goes out, I just, I do this thing and the mm-hmm. elk come running, but it that's just not the case. And, you know, even, you know, I've been doing this for, I think this will be 34 years this fall of, yeah. you know, calling elk. And I feel like, I'm like, you, got, you, you kind of got some things figured out to a degree until you don't, right? It's like, well, yep. off, I like to say oftentimes this works, oftentimes elk behave this way, but oftentimes they don't at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it kind of depends on regionally too. It seems like, you know, some places um, elk, like they want to fight more and other places yep. they don't want to fight more. They're more lovers than fighters. and And maybe that changes on the day too. Like one day they do and one day they don't. So, um, it, it's, it's tough for new hunters or, or folks who just haven't had enough opportunity to have get out there and experience it. Cause they want to look at something like, okay, I want to increase the odds of my success. How do I do that? Um, they're looking for that like silver bullet answer, but man, there's just, it's so tough because there's so many variables. Like, like you say, every, every situation is different. And, um, you know, I read a book in 1989, I think, it was by Dwight Shue or something about calling mm-hmm. elk, and it was great. It was great. And the, they they talked about the same stuff we talk about today, you know. Hang yeah. Ups. Elk, elk hung up back then. It was like the good old days. Like oh, elk, <laughs> you know, they probably just came running in. No, they they were hanging up back in the '80s, you know. To these guys, I think yeah. personally, I think elk hang up on elk sometimes. You know, maybe yeah, yeah. They personality probably do. Differences on elk. You know, one's a fighter, one's not much of a fighter, and they got to figure things out before. They may or may not even ever
1: fight, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking last year I had a a Utah tag and I had a bull. He was a lone bull by himself and I was cow him, and he bugled back at me and he was just kind of working his way up this drainage and he just never, he'd bugle, like, let me know he was there when I would cow call. And I was carrying my bugle on my backpack and I finally got out to this ridge and I was like, oh, I'm just going to rip a bugle at him and see what he does. And I bugled at him and then he immediately like his temper, you know, like his temperament changed, you know, and he, he turned and he came all the way down all by himself, no cows. And, you know, we exchanged bugles and he came all the way into, you know, 60 yards. But I mean that the cow, t- the cow call, he was kind of interested in, but it was that bugle that kind of turned him. And, you know, I hadn't had a lot of success up to that point with bugling. It was just that bull on that day for whatever reason, that's what he wanted to hear was a bugle and and he came, he came right in. (laughs) It's like, I guess you just got to try things sometimes, huh?
0: Yeah, you do. I think you just have to, like I say, experiment with it. Um, There's been, you know, typically on a call in scenario, whenever, once I've located a bull, I hear a bull bugle. It's like, okay, I need to get close as I can without scaring him and then start Mm -hmm. calling again. And But sometimes I've had it to where you kind of slow play them, and let's say this thing's across a big draw or a big uh, across the drainage, and whether there's time limitations, like I got to go, or it's gonna you don't have enough water, whatever the case may be, Um, maybe I don't want to go over there and try to get close, so I'm gonna start calling and see if you'll come over to my side, and not it's not like nine times out of ten they come, you know, you know, Mm -hmm. every now and then you'll you'll get a bull that'll just like. I'm coming. They'll come across the drainage, but it seems like it's more of one of those. You're going to have to give it some time, right? It's yeah. not, you're not going to blow on your call for 10 minutes and have him come. It's like more like two hours uh, Yeah. before you can yeah. fool him into coming over there. But
1: yeah, which um, can be, can, can be hard as an elk hunter. Cause you just want it to progress. You know, you want to, you want to see results to your calls before you, before you give up on it. But yeah, it does, sometimes it does. Sometimes it takes an hour or two hours for him to figure it out. Yeah. You, um, I was going to ask you. You uh, you brought up the 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 dreaded hang up, and that was one of the questions. And I'm certain it's probably it has to be one of the first questions that people ask you, right? Is oh, yeah. why why do bulls hang up, and then how do you deal with it? So I, I'll ask it again, just just to give myself a refresher.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So like the dreaded hang up, right? So when you're trying to call in a bull, they're going to probably come in to a point, so far to a point to where they can stop and look and see Hmm. your position. And they want to see that visual confirmation of that other bull, right? So if you set up and that bull can come out at 70 or 80 yards and see where you're standing and see a bull there or see you, then that's like the total total wrong spot to set up to begin with, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So hang up is all about your setup if you don't want bulls to hang up out of archery range, you have to set up to where they have to come really close to be, before they can ever see you. So that means you use maybe um, try to do this in the heavy timber, you know um, maybe it's a little more sparse country. Uh, maybe you're looking at terrain features like a, like little, little Ridge rolls and, and stuff like that, or maybe little drop-offs you want that bull to have to come up and look maybe over that little ridge roll or come up out of a little draw or something to come up and look up, up up on top of the flat to be able to first see you. Well, you have to know that you need to be in position or your shooter has got to be in position at the time he comes up there. So what, what does that mean for a solo hunter? Well, you have to, as you're hunting, you have to identify these hang up spots before you ever like sit in to start doing your major calling. Right. So mm-hmm. as I'm walking along towards the bull, <clears throat> I'm looking ahead. It's like, okay, if the bull was standing there looking at me right now and would catch me walking, where would he be standing? He'd be Mm -hmm. standing right over there. I can see right over there. It's nice and clear. So I'm thinking if I want that bull to – and it sounds like he's pretty close to that spot. If I want that bull to come in, I need to get over by that spot. So what I may do is I'll get, let's say, 40, 50 yards from that spot and do some calling, and when he replies – I move up very quickly and quietly to the spot and then I don't make mm-hmm. any more calls um, waiting for him to come out. Cause he's going to come out and look back over to that 40, 50 yard mark and looking for me. But in the meantime, I've, I've moved up and yeah. I'm waiting there right, quietly waiting for that, to be able to take that shot. So um,
1: it's mostly about picking your position then so that, I mean, the it, it makes total sense. I think it's that scenario and I've, I don't remember who said it originally, but it's that scenario that like you walk into a, a house and you, you yell for somebody, you know, and they might be in the next room and they are, they might respond, but you've, you've got to go to that next, you know, room essentially to like get to a point to where, you know, they can finally see you. They felt comfortable coming to a point where they can see you and right yeah I think it's about picking your spot. i think like my issue is and i've had, i've had bulls hang up um i think my, I fall in love with the um you know the idea of getting them to respond you know, and so i'll i'll uh I'll move in you know I'll get within that hundred yard space or you know what I think I'm in close proximity you know and i'll I'll bugle or cow call or whatever it is that they seem to be biting on and they want, and they'll respond and then rather than you know me picking picking my spot, essentially like picking like, Hey, this is the best area here where this bull is going to walk out into location that was within range before he could actually physically see me. My, my, uh, just my gut. I'm always like, Oh, I want to get closer. You know, I want to close that distance. And so a lot of times I get caught, you know, figuratively with my pants down, you know, out, out in a spot that I shouldn't be in, I should just hold up, pick my spot and then work that call to bring him to me.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. That's a good thought because sometimes you want, you want to move. Let's say you had a stalemate for a while and the bull is mm-hmm. kind of locked up out there at 80 yards and he just won't come in any closer, you know, and you know, he's been there rubbing, you can hear him thrashing and brush and bugling, but he's, he's just not coming. And then maybe he's starting to bugle less. He's like, doesn't sound as interested. That's definitely a time to, to move it, move up closer. And a lot of times I, at that point, um, I don't really worry about the element of surprise. Like I don't want him to like have to come and search and find me. I want to hear him, have him hear me coming. So mm-hmm. I'm going to make a lot of noise. I'm going to make a lot of, I'm going to pop as much brush and stomp on sticks as I, as I work towards him. And I'll, and I'll maybe even get a little aggressive with my bugling, a little more aggressive with my bugling. Um, if I hadn't been already just to let him know I'm coming. And sometimes that's all it takes. Let's say he's 80 yards. Well, I want to go 40 yards. Mm-hmm. i want to go halfway to him. That way, when he pops out, he finally exposes himself. Maybe he don't even come towards you, but maybe he kind of walks out, you know, uh, in parallel to you. And, and a lot of times they'll, they'll walk out broadside, um, because I think walking out broadside, they make themselves look bigger, right? Bigger. They like they want they want to look as big as they can. If you watch elk in Yellowstone and stuff, they they walk parallel to each other and then they fight, right? I think yep. they want to try to show off a little bit. So I show off my size, get it, take a good look. <laughs> so they hear you come. It's like, all right, Hey, I'm going to show off my size. Hey, check me out. And they expose themselves. And all the time you've got that 40 yard shot or less, you know, depending on how the situation mm-hmm. went. Um, but, yeah. but sometimes I feel like people will sit and wait in the wings too long. And then pretty soon the bowl starts bugling less and less. And last, and pretty soon, you're just like, "Oh man, I just know he's going to come." And pretty soon, he just kind of goes quiet. Yep. And then the next time you hear him, he's over the next ridge. Well, at that point, you didn't put enough pressure on him. I think they're just like, "Ah, eh, you're a chicken. I'm not. I'm not. There ain't no fight here. You're 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 a chicken." And they just kind of leave. Uh, so you got to keep engaged. So there's a fine line between overdoing it and underdoing it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think that's probably another super common question is, is the bull that seems interested, you know, he's exchanging calls with you, you're getting in close proximity, you know, he'll bugle at you, but never quite commit. And then it's just like you're saying, he kind of dwindles off and just, you know, ghosts you essentially will just kind of disappears, you know, he quits calling and then you might hear him one or two more times. And like you're saying, he's, you know, half a mile, you know, up the drainage, um, So you're saying in those situations, you think that just personally, people probably weren't aggressive enough. They just didn't, didn't make moves when they should have just go at him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like you got to put a little bit of pressure on him, a little aggressive pressure um, Mm -hmm. depending, you know, even in that early season, you know, maybe the bull's not bugling aggressively. um, But, but he's not coming to you. I found if, if I'm just call for a little bit and it's like, he's not coming. I'm going to work up. I'm going to work up another 50 yards. And sometimes just moving a little bit of distance, maybe they maybe they have in their mind like a preconceived like, all right, if that bull comes within this radius of me, I'm going to go down there and, and see what's up. Um, and maybe out. you just have to break that threshold before they'll come take a look at you, um, I think. And, and sometimes I've had it to where I've walked 10 yards and they hear me pop and brush and it's like they scream and you can hear them coming. It's like, just that little leap of faith. Like I've come all this way. Now it, now you got to do something, dude. And then, and then you do something like advance towards them. And they're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, but I've, I've had that cat and mouse thing too. Like you move up, they move back, you move up, they move mm-hmm. over. And, and I've done that cat and mouse thing f- for like an hour before, before I even see the bowl or get a shot. Um, mm-hmm. so It's, it's kind of frustrating, but I feel like you gotta be a little bit of a gambler with Colin Elk. If you're, Mm -hmm. if you never want to take a gamble, if you know, if you want to play the safe side, if you want to be a wallflower, you're probably going to have a lot less luck, Colin Elk. But if you're a little bit of a gambler, it's like, well, heck with it. I'm going to, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. I'm going to move up and be a little more aggressive and try to make something happen. I feel like you'll have better success. Yeah. Um,
1: as as you're talking there's there's kind of a something that keeps popping in my head and I think it's I think a lot of people um their lack of uh, I think it's a lack of confidence so it's it's it they don't make the aggressive move when they think they might because I think they lack the confidence in their calls because they they think you know he's gonna as I get closer you know he's you know he's gonna know that I'm not an elk because I'm just not confident in my calling myself included I'm, I'm mostly speaking from self experience so if anybody's yeah. listening this is mostly me talking about reasons why I I didn't I didn't get as aggressive as I possibly should have it's, and I think a lot of it just goes back to confidence like if you're if you're really confident that you sound good that you sound like a bull that you can match his intensity that you can make the sounds that you need to I think you're a whole lot more likely to make those moves and be more aggressive when you need to. I just yeah. think some, sometimes it just takes aggression and I think, it, I think it goes, a lot of it just goes back to confidence in calling, but which, which reminds me, I need to dig the old out calls out and get going again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, I have to agree with you on that. If you, I talked to a lot of folks every year, you know, um, around out calling and whether I'm doing um, calling camps or seminars or whatever. And a lot of people will say that, but it's just, man, I just, I don't, I just don't feel that confident on my calls, but Um, and it's just practice, right? Mm Um, I always say, if you can practice, you don't have to practice for an hour a day. If you can practice five, 10 minutes a day, maybe, um, on the way to work, you know, you got a 20 minute drive, do some, some cow call practices some bugle practices on the way to work. Now you don't have to sound like a world champion elk caller. What you have to sound like is a real elk and real elk. You've heard a lot of them. They don't Mm -hmm. always sound perfect. There's a lot of like, man, that thing, is that an elk sounds weird, it sounds weird you yeah. know but it is pretty ilky though it's not like a a guy just blowing a flute out there it's more you know it sounds like a real animal so perfection you don't have to have perfection but you have to kind of like okay every time i put my call on my mouth every time i blow on it i know the sound that's going to come out and i and i can make it make the sound i want it to within reason right mm-hmm. so you feel confident like well it may not sound perfect, but I can make bugles. I can make cow calls. I can, I can grunt, whatever. Um, that's the, that's the first, that's the first step. You have to be able to have that confidence. And then when you go to the woods, you have to just believe it. Like this is going to work. And then mm-hmm. when it doesn't work, it's like, well, it'll work tomorrow or it'll work in an hour from it, now. Right.
1: It'll work the but, next time.
0: Like, so I, like I said, been doing this for a really long time. And sometimes I'm like, gee whiz, is this bugle broken? Like, does this not work anymore? I'm like, man, you start like doubting it a little bit. So I could see where a new hunter that hasn't had any success with it maybe yet, it was just like, they would totally doubt the system. Like, this this isn't going to work. This is dumb. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm doing it wrong. But I sometimes feel like that too with, you know, all the experience I've had. I still feel like, man, I'm, something's, something's up. These elk are weird. But I think yeah. that's just that weird variance of like, it's not a perfect science um mm-hmm. and i'm always learning definitely on how to try to do it better and yeah. so so but just having that confidence just know that this works it does work um it didn't work this time that's okay shake it off it's going to work in an hour or tomorrow whatever the time of day it is just know you know if you have to feel if you have to go on on faith and and beliefs for 10 days straight it sucks it's hard it's hard I've been there, I've like had, I've been on a hunt where I didn't hear an elk bugle for eight days.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: at that point you're like, man, this is really hard, but I'm committed. I know it's going to work at some point. And then finally, when I got on the right elk, it worked, it worked great. Yeah. Um, so don't give it's, up.
1: That's, that's one of those, uh, it's kind of one of those internet things that you read all the time. When I, I hear a lot of people say it, that, um, you know, high pressured areas, areas that are o- over the counter or they're essentially easy to draw or you know, like areas in Idaho or Montana where you've got a lot of wolves, you hear a lot of people say, you know, these elk, they just don't bugle. They're call shy. Do you, I mean, do you think there's any merit to that? Do you think elk get call shy? I think they do. They do.
0: For instance, there's a spot um, in Idaho I like to hunt or I used to like to hunt and uh, it's, it's, there's a road that kind of goes through the mountains and it's pretty well traveled and every white spot People like to do road bugling, right? They'll pull over and mm-hmm. get out of the truck. They'll bugle off into the canyon. And this one spot, like there hasn't been a September. I haven't stopped there and heard a bull bugle. Now I've been off down in that, and it's a hell hole. I've been off in that hell hole a few times, but the winds are really bad. But it's always good to, <laughs> so I usually try to find some other elk to hunt because the ones down there are really tough because the wind screws you every time. But all mm. a lot of times for just a little bit of confidence boost, you'll pull up there and the, you know, and the early morning light or maybe it's still dark because you're on the way to the other spot and you bugle and there you hear, Oh yeah, man, there's three of them down there. Oh, awesome. Cool. Well, I'll save that for later. You yeah. drive on, but a lot of guys, this is a popular spot. People will pull up and, but the last couple times I've pulled up in there and I'm just, there's just crickets, nothing. And um, all my other spots were pretty rough too. I didn't hear any bugles, but I'm like, I know there's bulls down there. So you get out of the truck, you hike down over the hill into a different spot and you bugle from it. You get down there three or 400 yards and get on a different Ridge and you bugle, man, I immediately bulls were answering like crazy, like really well. Like why didn't they answer from the truck? Well, I think they get conditioned from people bugling from the truck, bugle from a certain landing, maybe bugling from the trail. I mean, if, if people an elk, kind of a little bit, a few times, Mm -hmm. like, Oh, I heard an elk bugle, and they go over there, and then they catch the guy's wind a few times. elk will get really wise to that. So, yeah. But I feel like if you can get out, think out of the box, get out of the norm, and quit trying to call them in in that same spot, like go over here in a different area and play with them in a different spot. They're they're very likely to call them in, uh, because yeah. they haven't had a weird encounter over in a in a place they maybe think they're safe.
1: That's a good tip. You know, if if they get used to hearing. You know, people call bugling, for, you know, cow calling from the same general areas, they're a little cow shy. So maybe just look at coming at it from a different angle, yeah. different spot where they maybe don't traditionally get called at on, you know, from a trailhead or from a road or something like that. That's a, it's a good, t- uh, it's a good, a good tip. Yeah. It's that, pretty simple, but I don't know that a lot of people think about it.
0: Right. And in Colorado comes to mind, especially that, that, uh, that time I hunted Colorado, then, Jason Phelps and I, we were hunting with Cody Kellum from born and raised and yeah. we were hunting and down low, it was, <clears throat> it was mad. It was people everywhere and people blowing calls everywhere. And we heard some bulls, but man, you couldn't put anything together. So we hiked up and over the top of this thing, this peak, it was like 11,000 feet. We get up and over, <laughs> we started at like eight, <laughs> we get up and over the top, you know, this back drainage and it's just. There's no trail into it. There's no cut no pack trail into it. No easy mm-hmm. way into it. It's nothing but boot leather to get there. And we bugle and boom, immediately, bulls answer down in there. They hadn't been messed with. There wasn't a boot yeah. track in there yet for the season. So we we went down there and chased bulls around. I'd like to say we, we killed two or three of them, but we didn't. You know, there again. But, but you chased them. We chased them around. It was sure was fun, but we had we had positive interactions with them. Whereas yeah. over where everybody else was at it was a circus um, mm-hmm. so I always look at that like so if an area let's say you knew there were elk there but they're all gone now and there's a bunch of people look to the most nastiest places around that area maybe one drainage over into some places where there's no easy trails you maybe have to hike up some nasty stuff to get there that's probably where they're going to go and if you go there a very good chance you call them in and kill one
1: yeah yeah, I've told people, and I've hunted Colorado OTC, and you know, I've told people quite a bit. You know, look at where your roads and your trails are, and if you got a road that runs the top of the ridge, bulls are probably going to be down in the bottom. They're probably yeah. down in the down the canyon away from you know the tops of the ridges. And if you got a road that runs in the bottom, they're probably going to be somewhere closer to the top. They just, yep. you know, they feel a little pressure and they and they just push out to that next next little level. So, yeah, sometimes you just got to put some boot leather down, and, and and I liked your tip of just maybe looking at it from just a just a different perspective, you know, a different ridge, a different area, call at them, you know, because if they're used to getting called from the exact same single, you know, spots, they probably equate that with, you know, humans and pressure, and they probably are a little, a little dummy, you know, they just don't call back to you. Yeah. That's, that's a good tip. Let me, uh, let me give you a scenario. I was curious. So, so let's say that you've got first light and you got a bull and he pipes off, maybe he's four or 500 yards from me and you, well, I, I won't, I won't lead you here. Um, let's say that you close the distance, like he's bugling pretty good on his own and you close the distance to him. You know, you get to where you think you're in that hundred yard, you know, window. Right. And you're, you're kind of thinking, okay, now's the time. What are the, what are the questions that you're asking yourself to start that interaction with him?
0: Um, okay. First off, I'm be like, all right, how are my shooting lanes? Um, Mm -hmm. if I have a whole bunch of really nice shooting lanes where I can shoot, 40 50 yards. I'm probably standing in the wrong spot. I immediately think I'm I'm way too exposed. He can like stick his neck out out there at 45 50 yards and you know I prefer a much closer shot, you know. Um, so I want him to be as close as possible. And a lot of times if if you have a really good shooting lane for 50 yards they can peek out and see you and or look and see and be like, there's no elk here. And then they can leave without never getting a shot. So yeah. I want to make sure I have maybe one or two, one, okay. You know, 30 yard shooting lane and a couple crappy ones that like you'll have to be at like five yards for me to shoot this thing. I want, I want that. So if I'm not standing in a spot like that, I'm going to jockey around before I start doing my final call in. Um, I'm just there again, it was kind of back to the whole hang up spot stuff. Um, then mm-hmm. I'm going to make sure like when, where, where's the wind. And, and probably even before I ever get to that spot, I'm going to be monitoring the wind and wherever his position is on the hillside versus mine. So if he's directly above me, directly below me, I'm really going to try to not do that. I want, I don't want to be below him. I don't want to be above him. I want to be on that same level because thermals, you know, you can have a, the most steady wind for an hour blowing downhill or uphill, whatever, whichever direction the thermals are, are taking the air. But it seems like you get in there calling a bowl, and a big puffy cloud goes over or something. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden you get some swirling winds and it changes from what, it'll make an opposite direction. If I'm on the same um, contour line as him, I'll have a little longer time, you know, to where I don't get messed up by, his, by him scenting me. So, um, I definitely want to be on that same level, and also I feel like bulls come in on that same level easier than they do calling them straight downhill mm-hmm. to you or straight uphill to you. Um, I really hate trying to call them downhill to me because they have that high ground they can and they can see down there a lot easier. Um, yeah, then if it's spicy and, then, versus, and then just so.
1: shooting uphill sucks <laughs> and shooting
0: uphill sucks bad, yeah, I hate it, yeah. Um, it's just I haven't had a lot of luck. It seems like I've had more trouble calling bulls downhill maybe than I have uphill. I've, I've had them come from below me quite a mm-hmm. bit. Um, but, but the best is if you can get them come in sidehill hill, cause they seem to not really, as long as there's not like a bunch of crap in the way. Um, yeah. Now it, another thing I'm always looking for in the setup and I see guys on YouTube do this and I've seen hunting partners do this and I've done this, but, when you're setting up make sure you don't have any big windfalls in front of you where you think the elk's going to come from like a windfall with some branches sticking up every time they will walk right behind that thing and there'll be some limbs covering your vitals um so if i see if i see a windfall i'm just like nope i have to like i'm risking everything to move that last 10 yards and get on the other side of that windfall so i don't have to contend with it because I don't know how many times I've had that happen to where they just, they just come in behind the wind. They, I think it's by purpose. I think they use that yeah, as I'm kind sure of like a shield to keep forgetting, maybe plowed by another bull or, or yeah. whatever. Um, so I'm looking at that every time.
1: How are you, uh, how are you deciding what call to open up with? So like in that scenario, if you got a bull bugle and you're within that hundred yard window, you've got some lanes that you like, and maybe you haven't heard any cows. I mean, what's, what's your gut like, how do you open up that conversation with that elk? What's what's in your mind? Do you open it up with cow calls? Do you open it up with a bugle? Like, what are you thinking?
0: Ideally, I want a cow call to him, mm-hmm. you know, maybe give a really light one first, just a real quiet one to where if he, if he bugles, like maybe he's closer than I thought he was. So I don't want to blast him with a really loud cow call. I want to give a very quiet, subtle one to where if he's like way closer, he's not going to just immediately have me pinpointed. Um, I want him to have to guess a little bit maybe and then if I, I'll give maybe two or three little just the quietest cow calls and just kind of wait and see I really want him to answer that cow call and then nothing happens then I'll cow call again just a little bit louder and I'm, I'm really wanting him to answer that because then once he answers my cow calls I can I can get a little aggressive with him like hey shut up stop talking to my cows I want to, mm-hmm. I want to insult him. And just says, Hey, I'm, I'm, do not talk to my cows. I so I feel like elk that are real defensive about their cows, chances are your cows probably you got a cow that's coming close to being in heat or maybe she is mm-hmm. in heat. whatever. Um, so that'll give that bull the idea that if I go over there, there's a good reason to fight this other bull. He's got a cow that's probably getting close to being, being bred. So I want to go over there and fight for it. Um, so that's kind of like the, the, the method behind that madness. But um, I feel like if I can do that, if I can get him to answer that cow call and then I hit him with a bugle, it just seems things escalate a lot better and a lot quicker um, than if he doesn't want to do that.
1: Gotcha. Yeah,
0: Sometimes I've like North Idaho bulls and in other places, sometimes they just don't care about a cow call. It could be September 24th and you mm-hmm. cow call and they don't care. But when you bugle, it's just, man, they hammer. Yeah. Um, and it's, I don't know why, I don't know if it's because they, they don't, they're not interested in girls. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's the weirdest right. thing, but they, they like a bugle and, and pretty soon they get wound up and they come in fighting mad. And that's, and that's really what I want. I want them to get mad Up when they get, when people, when L get mad, when we get mad, is we let our defenses down, right? We, all yeah. we can do is see red. All we have is one thing on our mind. We're going to go up there and mess somebody up. Mm-hmm. um now it seems like when i'm cow calling if i'm trying to cow call bulls in just by strictly cow calls they seem to be a lot more in tune and a lot more timid they come in they're a little slower maybe not maybe i've you know had them come running in but at some point they're like hey i better get the wind in my favor maybe they're going to duck down wind um so that's yeah. that's the tricky part there
1: I think it's a good distinction. I think there's definitely something to it. I know the bull that I call, I I called in and killed this last year in Utah. I, I called in with cow calls, but his his demeanor when he came in it was definitely you know different than I think, you know bulls that we bugled in with a bugle. You know I think that the bulls that you typically call in with a bugle, it's like you're saying. I think they come in a little more aggressive, like a little bit more wound up, maybe a little bit more um you know not 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 so cautious but this bull the bull that i killed he came in and he he came in to a point where i shot him and killed him but he was he was looking you know like he was super cautious as he came in so i think that's a good that's a good tip too i think i think how you call i mean ultimately i think you want to call him in anyway you can call him in you know and like he seemed to like that cow call and he was coming to it and he was bugling and it kept him going so i didn't give him anything else because he was coming yeah but yeah I, i i think there's definitely something to it where they come in different to different calls. I think to a bugle, I think you're right. I think they come in a lot more aggressive and a lot more haphazardly than they do to a, to a cow call where they come in kind of soft and and looking.
0: Yeah. And you you have to have, be on your game too. Like if you're, if they're coming into a cow call, like don't be scratching your nose and don't be moving around and just like moving your eyeballs. I mean, if they're coming in like that, a lot of times they're just, they're looking, they're looking. Yeah. Um, for maybe they've had an experience where somebody's cow called them in before. Maybe they're looking for that other bull. Maybe they think, I, I don't want to just run in here to these ladies. There could be a bull down there being quiet. I don't want to just run mm-hmm. in there and get beat up. Um,
1: yeah.
0: So I think there's a lot of reasons for caution. So you got to make sure your head's on a swivel. And if if you're hunting with two people, especially with that whole cow call situation, if if you got one coming in, make sure your buddy, um, who one of you is is downwind of the collar a little bit um downwind 30 yards you know 40 yards mm-hmm. whatever makes sense for the kind of brush you got you guys have got or trees you got going on or maybe topography um because i've found a lot of times bulls love to come in right below like you'll be like on a ridge and the ridge kind of rolls over to where mm-hmm. the bull comes in right below the line of the ridge that all you can see is their head yep and they can look and they can smell real good, and then they're not; their body's not exposed. They love to do that. So, if your partner can be set up down below that roll, to where he can take advantage of that bull, to where he can shoot below the roll and above, and then have you stand back, back a little bit further, um, it, it's just a, a recipe for success. Yeah, um, every, that happened to me so many times where they come in and just, oh, there you, I see his head. Well, that was cool. It might have been <laughs> that way <laughs> at ten yards. i yeah. got him.
1: Yeah. I want to talk calls here in a sec, but I wanted to ask you one more question. Uh, I've had a lot of people reaching out to me the last few weeks, surprisingly. So a lot of people saying, Hey, this is my first elk hunt. Like I'm going on my first archery elk hunt. Um, so in regards to like a very first timer, they're going out for their very first archery elk hunt, like what piece of advice, like what do you have? Like one thing that you could say, like, think, you know, that you think would help them be more successful
0: I think well, there's a lot of different things, but one thing I think uh, comes to mind right away is what are your? You have to temper your expectations. What are your expectations mm-hmm. on your first elk hunt ever? Don't expect to go out and shoot a 350 bull, right? I mean, it happens. Yeah. It Happens every year. But, not to me, but, but uh, <laughs> not to me. I still yeah. haven't got one. But I got one. <laughs> um, <laughs> nice,
1: nice. Finally. <laughs> but
0: <laughs> maybe someday I'll get one yeah Uh, but like expect like what what's your idea of success is Mm -hmm. your idea of success going out enjoying the beautiful mountains interacting with elk i heard elk i bugled elk i I messed with them i played with them i just didn't quite seal the deal and and let an arrow fly i mean right there to me that right there is a success right especially Mm -hmm. for a new hunter um you know what's your standards? Well, whatever's legal, you know, bull spikes, branch antler bulls, cows, whatever's legal. I would, I would set your sights on that. Just get, get your feet wet, take whatever's legal, whatever you can get the first time, you know, Mm -hmm. and maybe even for the first few years, like, I mean, I mean, you can go try to hunt for big antlers, but man, that's a, that's a, that's that's heartbreak city for um, a lot of people. I know anytime I've set my sight on, on big horns and, And I think, oh, I'm going to pass these five points. Mm -hmm. A lot of times I come home with nothing, you know, come home empty-handed. It sure was fun, but uh, you got to interact with elk elk a lot more. But that doesn't put meat in the freezer. So I I guess you have to define, you know, what are your expectations. And then from those expectations, um, it's really easy to, like, on day one and and all your planning and you have all this um, excitement and, and anticipation and oh, we're going to do this and it's going to be this. And then about day two or three, if your hunt hasn't been that so far, like, man, this is tough. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to like, you have to just dig in and be like, all right, well, we're going to, we're going to do this. Cause it's easy to kind of get disheartened and kind of give up. And it's like, you know, I'm just going to go home. Uh, yep. I thought I'd be able to call one in a can. I think I'll just go, I, take my ball and go home <laughs> you can't do that right you have you, yeah whatever the time it's like maybe you're maybe you're a weekend hunter maybe you got three days or like a long weekend you got to be there all three days or maybe you're you got a whole month yeah it don't matter like use the time that you've you've set aside to go hunt because if you don't uh number one you can't if you give up and go home you you immediately fail right yeah but also when you get home and in about a week, you're going to be like, man, I should have stuck it out. Man, I, what was I thinking? You know, I've never heard anybody said, man, I'm glad I just gave up and went home. I've never yeah, heard anybody no, say that. No, it's always there. <laughs> I've it's heard the regret. myself, man, I, I, yep, I really, I should have stuck it out. Uh, and and regret's something hard to live with for a whole year till the next September.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you I'm I'm spot on with you. It's a it's a similar answer that I give to a lot of people who is you know kind of do do as much preparation as you can be in be in the best physical shape that you can be in, you know, work on your your shooting, your calling, you know, have your gear as dialed as you can get it. But 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 I'm like you, have reasonable expectations, and then the other thing is, and I tell people this all the time, they probably get sick of it, but I really think that the biggest difference between people that are continually successful and those that, you know, might kill an animal every, you know, five or ten years, it's it's really just those guys that keep at it, it's just time, you know, just day after day, they get up in the morning, you know, put the boots on and they go out and they try, you know, and you do it day in, day out, and eventually, I've been on so many hunts as I think about it, it's like, I think I have a moment at least every hunt where I think this is never going to happen. Like this is impossible. This thing I'm trying to do, like yeah. to get this elk within range in a shooting lane where I'm going to actually get a a chance to draw and shoot at this bull. It, it's impossible. It's never going to happen, and then it does. You know, yep. it just randomly does, and you're like, oh, that was you know it's doable. So yeah, I I, th- I think it's just keeping at it. So I think it's good advice. Just just hunt hard as you possibly can because. And like you, there's nothing more depressing than being back in front of your, you know, your desk or your computer when you get back when when you could have gave it an extra couple of days on the end, but you gave up early.
0: Yeah, if if you don't just leave it all on the mountain and mm-hmm. be like, man, I try I did everything I did my best and I didn't get one. It's like, well, nobody can fault that, you know, yep. including yourself. You can't beat yourself up. So like, well what you know what did i learn? well i learned a few new things about myself and maybe i need to work out more maybe I need to learn work, work on my calling maybe my shooting needs needs you know improvement
1: maybe mm-hmm.
0: maybe i need to make sure my feet are tougher before season you know what whatever whatever it is um but if you give up you can't do it yeah you just can't do it yeah
1: let's uh let's talk elk calls. so you guys got a new a new bugle tube the unleashed v2 right version two yep. Un- unleashed v2 what- yeah what uh what's new with it i mean what how's it different from the original and just just in general i was curious to ask you like <laughs> what uh i mean a wiffle ball bat will that work what's different about an actual bugle tube
0: <laughs> anytime we come out with a new tube it's funny you, know, you get all the comments right and some guys are like mm-hmm. all you need is a wiffle ball bat cut the ends off and wrap it with sure it. works yeah. i've called in x many bowls with it they will yeah. work they will work i will say that but um back to that confidence thing right it's like Mm -hmm. blown into a wiffle ball bat tube is there's like virtually no back pressure right so Mm -hmm. it's kind of a flat sound it's really hard to get the that cascading like the the note articulation when you go from the bottom note to the top note and then back down it just kind of sounds flat Mm -hmm. and with that in mind like back pressure in mind it if a tube has more back pressure, you have to put less air pressure into the tube. So you don't have to blow quite as hard. Um, so your calls last easier and it's just easier to call into. So it makes it easier to bugle. Um, so we, with that in mind, um, now the, the original unleashed tube was great. It had lots of, lots of back pressure. Um, it's, it's big, loud, has a really good thump to it. You know, when you're chuckling Mm -hmm. or grunting, um, or the renegade tube which is a little bit short it's like a cut down version of that unleashed but um, that thing is big right and Mm -hmm. you know for years people have have always asked can we get a smaller tube Can we get a smaller tube but Mm -hmm. the smaller tube it seems like you usually have to sacrifice something right you have to usually sacrifice some some sound quality or something so we set out we wanted to make sure we could make a smaller tube that still had enough thump still you Mm can still hear that good bass in your in your calls but also had enough um had enough back pressure that sounded right so you could articulate those notes and you don't have to blow super hard on it and it has to and it has to um has to be modular so the biggest one of the biggest downfalls of that um unleash two is you know in its day it was awesome but fast forward a few years now we have this easy bugler mouthpiece for mm-hmm. folks who can't use a diaphragm. Well, unless you're really good at like doing some like special engineering with, you know, cutting the end of that thing off and doing some sandpaper and, you know, some yeah. glue and getting <laughs> gluing that mouthpiece. Yeah. Yeah. I mean you can do it. I, I made one just for fun, <laughs> just to see if it can be done. And you can make mm-hmm. one. But um we wanted something that was easily adaptable. So we wanted to be able to have, provide a tube for diaphragm collars and for collars that couldn't use diaphragms you know so it's an external mouthpiece so you just put it on your lip and blow it um that way there's no gag reflex or anything but mm-hmm. you could do either or so we we got this new tube which we we kind of we kind of had that design with that metal beagle tube that we came out yeah. with a couple years ago um, that one's my favorite it's pretty nice but we want to do that again with about the same size of tube but in plastic um because people they're like, okay, I like the metal it sounds good but I want something a little lighter you know for the mm-hmm. for the guys who are just counting every ounce so we went to work and designed this plastic tube and it sounds great it sounds great and it's cool because it's a it's kind of a value there's an added value to it as well because you get both mouthpieces you get the the oh, nice. mouthpiece for 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 diaphragms and you get the external mouthpiece for the folks who don't want to use it and I'll be honest you know, if you could probably, if you're chasing bull one a bull one day, and you messed it up somehow, bulls will kind of tune, will get kind of in tune to a certain bugle, right? So mm-hmm. you go back the next day. If you messed it up day one, you go back on day two and you bugle at him again. He may recognize your bugle and be like, "Yeah, I don't like that guy. I played around with him yesterday. he smelled like a guy, smell like a human." Yeah. <laughs> but with that other mouthpiece, it does definitely does sound distinct. Distinctively different than Mm -hmm. your standard diaphragm so you have a new sound profile so you go back in again the next day you sound like a different bowl so i think there's there's that option um which would work good for some people who like diaphragms but um anyway and then we looked at like another reason um we made some changes is there's a lot of complaints over the years people like man this thing is noisy when you go through the brush i'm going through the brush and and a branch or something hits the, the big end, you know, the exit end mm-hmm. of the tube, and it goes clankety clank, and it's like kind of like amplified because it's that big hollow tube. So we have two millimeter uh, neoprene that covers the entire tube um, from the neck from the mouthpiece down, and in, it in 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 chokes right down around the exit hole. So there's no way any branches are going to hit your your tube on the end, um, and it looks good and it's very streamlined. It fits tight. Um, it it just, it just works. And then, um, with the, uh, the metal beagle tube, it was hard to get a lanyard to, you know, to supply a lanyard on that thing without increasing the cost of it a lot. And, um, so what we did is we had the, um, the neoprene cover. We had, we had the, um, the lanyards sewn into it because literally the other kind of lanyards we used forever on the unleashed tube, we literally have to sit there and tie each one of them by hand. You have to tie ten thousand of those things. It sucks. No, thank you. (laughs) You're you're paying you're paying a guy twenty bucks an hour to sit there and tie lanyards all day long. And like for a little bit, it's okay. But I don't. I can't think of anything more mind numbing than Mm -hmm. tying lanyards. So this new neoprene cover has the um, the lanyard integrated into it. Cool. There's plans of you know retro. You know going in with the the newer uh metal bugle tubes at some point um to put that on the, the, shop the neoprene cover well. with the mm-hmm. yeah and it had the metal one has the neoprene cover as yeah. well and we kind of redesigned that too uh so you know at some point we should have some new some tubes out there with with all the all the cool stuff on the metal side too so
1: gotcha i was going to ask you i know that last year you guys came out with the easy sucker um kind of just before hunting season i in fact i remember trying to trying to get one and i was kind of watching our go hunt gear shop to see if we could you know get one in so i could take it with me and i don't think i got i didn't get one in time but i was curious as to you know how the response was last year so you've got one year essentially of elk hunting with you guys i i assume based on kind of what we sold and just talking to people in general that it was a pretty popular product but i was curious as to you know your feedback on the easy sucker how you thought it did you use it last year and kind of the response and and what's been the response to that call yeah i used it
0: off and on last year for me it's it's got a very similar profile sound to a diaphragm, so. Mm-hmm. Um, if you struggle with using a diaphragm at all, or maybe you struggle with making decent cow calls with a diaphragm, this thing will, this that easy sucker will cow call better than 90% of people can with a diaphragm. It's just that good. It wow. just sounds that good. And then it's versatile, you know, it's breath operated. It's not like you're not like pushing a button where you get the same result every single time. You can, you can change the, the airflow. You can, you can cup your hand. You can, bite a little harder you can bite a little softer just to get different sound whether you want to make calf calf sounds or cow sounds so Mm -hmm. um it's and it was just a huge hit you know it's it's we had guys on instagram with their four-year-old um (laughs) you can do it and and a little kid making cow calls with it um you know so it's really nice for you know there's families that want to want to take you know wife and kids hunting but they they don't want to invest the time to use calls, you know, to learn how to use calls. Great option. They, they mm-hmm. buy one of those and, you know, you give it to the missus or, or maybe the missus gives it to their non-hunting husband or, or the their <laughs> little kid or whatever that, yeah. that wants to, somebody, whoever wants to go along and, and, and be part of the hunt. Sometimes running a call, that's 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 the hunt, right? That Now you're yep. doing it. You're really doing it. So mm-hmm. um, you just give some, you know, more people an option an opportunity to, to participate and hunt and, and, and well, it, it sounds, it sounds pretty good. So then, so we see really good sales out of it. You know, we moved to lots and lots of units. I know you guys did good with it. Um, and then you go to the trade shows. So now at trade shows, it's awesome because you always get to interface with all your, mm-hmm. all your people, you know, the customers and they can kind of come up and, and they can say, Hey, I liked your call this, or, Hey, I hated that one thing about this or mm-hmm. that, you know, so you, it's great. You, we, we like to hear all feedback because that just, let us us make better calls in the end and lots of lots of stories of folks that like man i could never use a diaphragm and i use that and i called in a bull for my dad or i mm-hmm. you know i talked to one guy who's an outfitter and he buys one of those for every one of his clients and gives it to him so they chase beagles all morning and then he'll set them on a in a tree stand over water in the afternoon and he's like mm-hmm. okay you know use your watch give this every 10 minutes or something you can <laughs> make a couple little soft ones and He's like, they love it because they can make the sound, they can make a cow call, and, um, you know, sometimes they'll come in.
1: Mm-hmm. But do, you, uh, do you carry any ex- external calls like that in, in the field? I do. carry a little bit of everything.
0: Deal. Back to that ex- that experiment, you know, science experiment mm-hmm. every time I'm trying to get a boulder bugle. But uh, we'll see what they, they bite on. in the bite and blow style, you know, just the open-read Yeah, the style. easy estrus.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Those uh I use those, you know, often. Um seems like sometimes they work way better than standard diaphragms. Um sometimes not. So but I feel like it's like anything. If you have more if you if you're fishing, right? The more fishing lures or fishing flies you got in your box, the better off you're gonna be, the more fish you'll catch. So you gotta try it and see what, what they like. But
1: yeah. Yeah. Um I would say another pretty commonly asked question that you get, I'm certain is, uh, you know, somebody wants to get into elk calling and they want to learn to use a diaphragm call, a mouth call. Um, and, and I get this all the time. What's, what's the best call for a beginner? So like, what, what would you recommend is from the Phelps lineup? What do you typically tell guys that are looking to try to get into using a diaphragm elk call?
0: Everybody, when they ask that, they're always looking for that, which one, that which one, Mm -hmm. which one call is the best for a beginner. And it's really hard to put that put a finger on that because, as a beginner, some beginners don't know. They have no point of reference of how much air pressure to put across the call. So, maybe somebody's a loud talker and and you know, kind of a boisterous person. Um, maybe they're going to put a lot of air pressure. They just like blow way too hard. And the next person is kind of a quiet talker and they don't they don't put a lot of air pressure across there. They're just mm-hmm. more reserved and they just don't put a lot of air. So to find that perfect one is very hard because somewhere in the middle, neither, neither user will probably have a great experience with it. So I always recommend to get like three different calls. Um, I always recommend to get like a thick latex call, a medium Mm -hmm. latex call, and then a thin latex call. And then just kind of play with them and see what kind of fits the way you blow. Um, Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people I've, in my in my mind, I think a lot of people probably blow too hard, and a lot of people like that maverick call because it's got a heavy latex. And I think just you you you're trying to make a really loud noise, right? So immediately you want to blow as hard as you can, mm-hmm. and usually folks can really should tone it down and just a little bit of a notch on their air pressure, and you get a little better um, result, a little more control and stuff. But that thicker latex thicker latex equals more air pressure. So, um, the, that, those like the Maverick or, or the, the purple, um, Smith call those handle that, that heavy pressure really well. Um, and then if, if a person just thinks they're, they're not a, a, a heavy collar or a hard collar, maybe that, maybe that, um, black amp mm-hmm. would be a great one or the, the green amp, um, or if you're just kind of in the middle, you don't even know, you know, the gray amp that's kind of the middle of the road call, but sometimes, you know, we do have the easy button too. So there's the beginner three pack we sell, which has the black one, the green one and the gray one. So Mm -hmm. somewhere in those three calls, you're probably going to have, you know, find something that you like. And then we have the signature three pack, which is the pink Phelps, the Maverick and the purple Smith. And those are a little heavier latex. Um, So, but if you're a beginner and you think, oh, well that's for that's for people who are pros. It, it's crazy who who likes the heavier calls. Sometimes there'll be there's a young lady. There's a young lady's a competition caller. She she blows that maverick like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: like a, a large person could do it. Any you eleven know, <laughs> an year old girl can just I don't know where it comes. Like she has a lot of lung power and just gonna really yeah. blow that thing well. And I've seen great big dudes that have to have maybe the lighter latex. Jason, he he kind of goes back and forth from his pink one, but he also likes that green one. It's and the green one's a pretty light latex. He he really likes that one too. So um it's really hard to put your finger on them. So I always tell people buy three medium, light and heavy latex and then practice with the one you like the best. And then after a couple of weeks, if you, you go back to the other two, you'll probably find one that's like, you know what, I like this one over here a little bit better so Mm -hmm. you're not just throwing money away or what a lot of people find is is i bugle really good with this one but then i cow call better with this other one so a lot of times they'll they'll pack two Mm -hmm. or three different calls anyway just because the kind of the different diaphragm will suit whatever trying to call to make they're trying to make
1: do you pretty much just use your signature call your maverick call i mean is is that pretty much the only one that you take with you
0: i do i do it it does everything because you know there again i'm i've I'm so practiced up or well-versed at using the calls for so long that um, I can, I can change the air pressure. I can, mm-hmm. I can put, apply the pressure a little different. Sometimes I think I might even, it's really hard to tell. And to, I think I'm doing this one thing, you know, I'm I'm blowing it a certain way. And then somebody was watching me and they're like, no, you didn't do it that way. You did it like this. I'm like, okay, that's mm-hmm. fair. That's fair because I don't usually look in the mirror on how I, how I use the call, but I feel like i you know i moved the call a little bit in my mouth for from from bugles to grunts or cow calls and then you know you change the amount of air pressure you're, you're putting across it so those are those little little nuanced things that it takes to to use that one same call but uh but it all comes with with time and experience and just practice um, yeah
1: when you guys label those i i assume i'm pretty sure i can't remember but i'm if you go back through it seems like you guys label all your calls based on the, the latex right medium light or heavy yeah and so i th- and, and you make different calls you know with with the same similar type of of thick, thickness and latex and so i think once you find one that kind of suits you like for me I'm kind of that guy that you were, you know, you were talking about that 11, that 11 year old girl, if you will. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I found out that, um, for whatever reason, the Maverick is the one that kind of works best for me, you know, and I'm not, I wasn't a super experienced elk caller. I just didn't spend a lot of time with it, but, um, yeah, that's kind of the one and you're saying it kind of has a heavier latex, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think you, you kind of find the one that works for you. And and it sounds to me like it just depends ultimately on, you know, you as a person and how much air you put out and how you want to blow the call.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then some, you know, some folks, there's another layer, you know, some folks have a really narrow palate, you know, their soft Mm -hmm. palate or their mouth is very narrow or very deep. So a standard amp diaphragm just doesn't fit right. Um, Maybe it feels really big. Like when they close their mouth their teeth, little touch on it or even sometimes bite it um so there's some things you can do you could either trim the tape off or we do also offer the mini amp which is Mm -hmm. just really small it's it's identical in shape other than it's just tiny size it's it's fun size (laughs) yeah it's it's really small and and it fits in those folks mouth like you know and and you you might think oh for ladies or kids because you know they're smaller people but I know some big dudes that are, have a narrow palate and, but they like, they like that little mini, mini amp. So, and then there again, you know, folks that can't, they're like, I cannot use a diaphragm at all. (laughs) They make me gag or they tickle or whatever, Mm -hmm. then there are maybe dentures. you know, there's a lot of folks Mm -hmm. that, that maybe have dentures. Um, It's really hard to use a diaphragm. So that external, that, easy bugler mouthpiece is awesome um, it, it's kind of a game changer for folks who can't use a diaphragm
1: yeah i remember last year when you had it might have been i can't remember if it was last year or the year before when we had you in the office i was really impressed with just the amount of and the the different noises bugles that you could make with the uh, you know the external reed on the bugle tube you know, you, you could do everything. You could do the challenge bugle, you know, all the grunts, everything that you could do with just a regular diaphragm and a bugle tube, you could do with that same mouthpiece that's, yeah. you know, if you can't use a diaphragm.
0: And with a little that's... finesse, you can even cow call with it. Um, mm-hmm. When it's right out of the brand new, out of the package, it's a little stiff, it's a little tight. But as you've blown on it for a few days, hunting, you can, if you're finesse it, you can make you make cow calls with it. So it's pretty versatile call. Huh
1: how how often do you replace your so like your how often do you replace your calls do you have reads that you use you know diaphragms that you use year after year like typically when do you get a new one
0: so mo- for most folks you're probably going to want to think about replacing your diaphragms every year you know depending mm-hmm. on how much time you're spending in the field you may you may go through two two or three um you know you'll probably go through two or three leading up to season practicing you know, um they're a very consumable product you know the as, mm-hmm. as you, as you use it, you know, your saliva gets on the latex and saliva breaks down latex. So after you use it, you want to make sure your, your calls dry out to maximize, maximize uh, life. And also the saliva will, will kind of soak your, um, the little tape that goes around them. And you, and then if you saturate it for too long, I know guys, will be like, Oh, I, I throw my diaphragm in my mouth and I keep it all day, in there all day long and until it's, time to go to bed at night right, whenever, I'm, whenever i'm hunting you know i don't want to make sure i miss a single opportunity to call but that just that's a recipe for disaster because um latex doesn't like saliva and neither does the mm-hmm. tape so it'll start it'll break both down so you won't get very good life out of the out of your calls doing that so what i do and i've i've had to do this out of um i had to force myself to do this because i have this bad habit if i i keep my diaphragm in my in my mouth i'll kind of chew on the corner and i'll chew on it until the the tape starts coming apart and i'll ruin it and it, it's a great call until the thing starts falling apart right so i just yep. keep it out of my mouth so i put it in my little call case and then i have my call case at the ready and if i hear or see elk you know, and i want to call i just quickly pull my call case to my mouth it, it's just got a little snap enclosure i just have it kind of sticking out part way and i just bite it pull it out and and away mm-hmm. we go um I don't put in my pockets. Pockets is terrible. Every time I put diaphragms in my pocket, I pull them out, and there's like pine needles and like dirt and like all kinds, of, all kinds of crap in there. Um, yep. And then you try to make the sound, and it sounds weird, or um, it's got fuzzies all over it, or or you get it all sweaty and gross. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, having a call pouch is is, is a must. Um, that's what i'm gonna me. i'm gonna
1: use that for an excuse why i sound bad Is i put it in my pocket it wasn't me it was the the call of me putting it in the pocket <laughs> had, had some dirt on it <laughs> yeah put a little funk what, on it that's what happened that's what happened yeah but, i was gonna uh, ask you i go through probably three
0: to four diaphragms of september um and I, mm-hmm. I i hunt a lot you know I'll, yeah last year i probably hunted 25 days out of the 30 in september so um, that's a good I, I good fall that. um So, but you know, some, and then those same diaphragms, I had like three left in my pouch. And then I went to um, elk shape camp with Dan in this Mm -hmm. summer. And I was like, Oh, I got these calls in here. Hopefully they still work. And they worked fine. Um, They weren't perfect. Like, like newer calls were, but they were still pretty good. They they weren't Mm -hmm. horrible. So um, you just got to keep them out of the sun, keep them dry. Don't put them, don't seal them up in the plastic baggie wet. And your your diaphragm should last a lot
1: better. And now's really the time, right? So now, now's probably the time to pick some up and start practicing if you haven't been already, but you know, get, get them well in advance so that you've got them and, and you're, you feel confident with them.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. You've got, you know, it's the middle the tail end of the month here. You've got the next, let's say 40 days to practice. I mean, you can, you can do a lot of work in 40 days. And like I said before, Ten minutes a day just becoming familiar with what your tongue and and your your diaphragm and everything's supposed to to do like that that muscle memory is is paramount like that way you can be confident when you use those calls instead of like oh man i i hope it's gonna make a bugle or i i hope i can make a cow call with it if you wait till september 1st to practice you'll have that like "Mm, i don't know if this is going to work or not but just 10 minutes a day from now till season, you'll definitely, you'll be like, oh yeah, I know what to do. Yeah.
1: Right, ready to go. I was going to ask you, what other, besides calls, I mean, you work for a call company, but besides calls, what are what's another piece or, or two pieces of gear that is an elk hunter, every archery elk hunter do you think you should have?
0: You can spend a ton of money on, you name it, on gear, right? There's mm-hmm. all the cool stuff, right? Yep. but i i feel like if you really want to spend money that's like that probably the the best bang for your buck is boots
1: mm-hmm.
0: now i could tell you brand x boots but everybody's feet are a little bit different and so I, I don't think that'd be fair but what i said well i will say is high quality boots you're probably gonna have to spend three or four hundred bucks for a pair but i i can attest i've, I've been there I've, I've done that i wore some really crappy cheap boots in my in my life and (laughs) you just can't go as good with Mm -hmm. crappy boots as you can with good ones now there i know a couple guys that are animals like they could probably go they can probably wear flip-flops in the mountains (laughs) but for somebody like me i need good boots and if you can't if you can't get to the elk you cannot hunt the elk and if your boots are giving you blisters or if your boots are just they're not supportive enough like here's an here's a funny story idaho rifle season here years and years ago i had a good set of high quality hunting boots and they were in my camper well i was supposed to go out to camp the night before but kids sports or whatever something come up it's like no. well i'll go to the game and then the, the next day i'm gonna get up early and i'll get up at like three o'clock in the morning well you 3 30 you get out of bed so now you're you're running behind so Knowing my boots and my camper, well, where I wanted to go on opening day, it was going to take forty-five minutes to drive over to my camper and back on the road to get over to where I wanted to jump off into the mount off the off the top of the mountain. So I'm like, well, I got these other cheap Walmart boots. I mean, they're not that bad. Um, I think I'll I'll just take these. I'll just skip. I'll skip running over and get my boots. So opening day, I got my cheap Walmart <laughs> boots walk over the hill and things are going pretty good. And they call in a bull and right at first light. And it's a little too dark. I can't see a good, see him to shoot. And he spooks off and they call in another bull. But there's a really good growler bugling down in the canyon. Like, okay, I got to get down to that one. And I got down in there where it's so steep that every time I try to step downhill or side hill, that the, the sole of the boot would literally roll up over to the top of my foot. <laughs> Like I had a thing cinched down as tight as humanly possible with the laces and it was still uh, just rolling up on top of my foot to where I was just standing mm-hmm. on the side of the, the boot basically, the, boot. the bottom of my foot was. I couldn't go. I literally couldn't go after the bull. I'm like, I, I, I'm done. This is as far yeah. as I can walk. I can't go stumble down there and then try to pack this bull out of this terrible place. So yeah. I sat up there on the hill, bugling back and forth with this bull all day. I should have, what I should have done is hiked out and went and got my other boots and went back to and they went bed. back he kept on talking he was like all day from morning till that evening just about every little bit he'd he'd torch off but anyway he never i thought he'd come across him like oh he'll come over here but he never did show himself but
1: then you'd have I, to I, pack I, him out in crappy boots yeah
0: yeah <laughs> well if he would had come up where i was at it's like it would have been doable but that that big decline to go down to where he was living there's just absolutely no way so anyway, that right there was the proof in the pudding like you got to buy a good pair of boots if you want to hunt elk in steep nasty places. Um if yeah. if you're hunting flat in the flat country, maybe you don't need them, but
1: boots. Yeah.
0: put your money in boots.
1: Yeah, I think a, a guy like you that uh is covering a lot of ground, typically I would assume and you're doing a lot of calling and you're bugling and you're trying to find the bull that's you know ready to play, you know you're you're definitely putting miles on the boots, so that's a good good tip.
0: And I'm not a small American, too, so that, that could be a hot part of it, you know. Yeah. You know I'm not some little skinny guy that maybe mm-hmm. doesn't need such a heavy-duty boot. You know, little skinny guys yeah. would have ran down there in flip-flops and shot yep. that thing.
1: I was going to ask you, would you uh, you ever shot a bull off a wallow or, or water? Um, Let me think now. Um, Yes, I did. <laughs> oh, I really?
0: Yeah. And mm. I did do some calling. <laughs> this, okay. this is a funny story. So I was probably 22 years old and uh i was hunting this uh it was private property this guy had um had some cattle running in there and there's an old cattle pond and it was hot it's hot elk Mm -hmm. wouldn't talk it's hot i'm like okay i'm gonna go sit by this pond there's a lot of times there's elk in this area so i'll go just sit by this pond and see what happens so i sat there started getting kind of dusky out and i'd made some cow calls and some made a couple little wimpy bugles and i threw some stuff in the pond to splash you know and i just sat there pretty soon i could hear some twigs popping i'm like oh man here comes the elk and pretty soon a cow elk comes out and pretty soon a spike fork and horn bull comes out with her and they kind of walk out and they're kind of being cautious they're looking they're looking at the water and making sure there's no danger around and then they you can just kind of see like they see everything's clear and their kind of demeanor changes and it's like okay Time to go get a drink they start walking and i've got my bow and i'm just getting ready to draw and all of a sudden i see a <laughs> this, this is no joke probably people if i think this is a lie but it's no joke i see a flash of black out of the out of my periphery and i think oh a bear like i'm thinking a bear is going to attack himself yeah. and it's not a bear at all it's like a domestic steer like a black domestic yeah. steer like full big you know thousand yeah. pound animal come just flying out of the like out of my periphery and rams that spike bull right in the butt with its head. <laughs> no. This is no joke. It rams that bull right in the butt, and the kind of knocks the bull down. And, and the bull kind of jumps up, you know, dan- dances uh-huh. around a little bit, like what? What's going on? Like it took him off guard. Mm-hmm. And uh, then the that bull kind of or that steer just kind of stood there, and kind of potties, pawed at him for a second. Well, I took that opportunity with all the distraction to drop my bow. Right. <laughs> yeah. Bowl's right. in, this bull's in sight. So right. bam, I should not bam, but whack. I, I shoot him with my bow and he runs off. And then the, the he kind of looks no around and takes off too. But um, this is the weirdest thing, but I think that's the only one I've ever shot on water.
1: Yeah. I thought for sure a guy that went by the bugler had never shot a, shot an elk off a wall or <laughs> a wallow or water hole. Well,
0: see that that's, that's the takeaway. You know, as fun as it is to, to call them in, you gotta, you gotta improvise sometimes, just do whatever it takes, you know, um, yeah. legal means to, 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 get your elk. So and I'm not yeah, too I got proud it. to, to try other things, you know, I have, <laughs> I've tried a couple things, other things before, but you know, usually the calling works best for me, for yeah. me. I'm, yeah. I'd say, well, you're good. Probably, at, you're good at it. I, I, I do pretty good at it. Um, but I will say, you know, spot spot and stock hunters mm-hmm. will probably kill, more and bigger bulls than I ever will. Um, but that, that's a whole different discipline. You know, it takes a different kind of character to do that, which is, which is cool. I wish I had that kind of discipline. I'm just too willy nilly to to do that. I think for the most part, I think
1: it's, I think it's a a good example of, you know, I think you, you, you hunt to your strengths, you know, I think if you're really patient and you can sit from dark to dark on a water hole, go for it. If you can do yeah. it, you know, if you're, if you're a good caller and you've worked at it and you've developed that skill, go out and do it. Cause you'll be more effective, you know, and same thing with spot and stock. If you're super, you know, if you're five, five and super stealthy and you can sneak up on elk, then, you know, I think that's a good means of, of hunting elk. So yeah, hunt to your strengths for sure. Yeah.
0: Well, we set on water in New Mexico here a couple, a couple years ago, uh, cameraman Dusty and I, we were just it's tough. You know, we had some bulls bugle first thing in the morning, they'd shut down about about thirty minutes after the light would come up. They'd just disappear. You couldn't find them. Anyway, there was a really good pond, wallow. And I'm like, yeah, let's just go sit on that thing. So we mm-hmm. went and sat and it was so blazing hot. Oh my I've never that was like the worst time I've ever had in my life. Because I'm like, <laughs> okay, Dusty, you sit in the shade. I'm gonna let you have the shade. I'm gonna sit in the sun. That wasn't a somebody made a little blind you know it was already Mm -hmm. there um and so it wasn't big enough for us both to have shade and I'm like well you sit in the shade i'll sit in the sun and i sat there and sweated buckets and then Mm -hmm. bugs were getting all you know bees and flies are just swarming my sweaty face and it was it was it was terrible like i don't really want to ever do this again (laughs) whoever the people who can do that i mean my hat's off to them i mean that's not easy by any means
1: yeah just different kind of skill i guess just yeah, more definitely. more patient yeah um you got tags this year you're excited about
0: yeah yeah uh montana general elk and cool. uh and deer combo so uh, cool i'll go over there phelps and i are gonna hunt deer together he didn't put in for montana he's got a he's got an oregon tag uh mm-hmm. for elk um and then idaho i got an idaho tag too so i haven't picked the tag yet i'm still still trying to figure it out and trying to crack the code maybe get some trail camp pictures and see where i want to go but um but i gotta i gotta figure out soon because i'll have to get a film permit and that always takes a little bit of time but
1: you you still get excited about El hunting after all these years
0: oh yeah yeah oh yeah it's yeah there's nothing better yeah one of the only things i I like to
1: do (laughs) i i agree yeah the rest of the year's just fluff i mean it's all getting me getting me to september because i just i love that september yeah yeah i yeah. totally i totally I'm, get i'm that. a little bit
0: of a simpleton i don't like a lot of things and it's not, me too. not real deep <laughs> pretty shallow <laughs> yeah. I, I like elk hunting like camping <laughs> maybe a little bit of fishing but i mean yeah. elk hunting by far i, I still love it I still get the feels for it you know yeah.
1: gotcha so I'll cut you loose. I've had you for an hour and a half. You've been very generous oh, with your wow. time. La- last thing I was going to ask you, and I've been asking a few people, what's the just, just people to get to know Dirk a little bit better. What's the last type of music you listen to?
0: Oh man, I'm a big music aficionado. I love. Oh, you music. are. I love music. I love all kinds of music, but most okay. of the time, what you're going to find playing in my truck, you're, it's going to be like uh, rock metal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that's what I like. Uh, how how heavy? Um, not Sue. So, I don't like the real screamo stuff. Yeah. I like a little bit, like I like some five finger death punch. I mean, I like okay. that a lot, you know, that, t- that type of stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, last night, my wife and I were coming home from hanging trail cameras and we're listening stuff from the four, the fifties, you know, mm-hmm. you know that, that, the old music, she had some stuff on her playlist, which I love that stuff too. It's like a nice refresher, something refreshing yeah. from the same old music all the time. But the, something you will not find on my playlist is new country. I will not. Yeah, me to country. No, now, there's, some <laughs> new, there's some newer country. The guys are kind of like a little bit outlaws. You know, they're not super yeah. mainstream. I like those guys, but the new pop
1: mm-hmm. country, I just
0: can't do it. Um, yeah, the
1: stuff on the radio is not my jam. Yeah.
0: But I won't hold yeah, that against I people. I might make yeah, fun I mean, of it a little bit, but I'm not. Gonna. <laughs> I won't make. I, won't hold I it
1: think it's that. your God-given right to do so. <laughs> That's right, by God. <laughs> uh, well, I, I appreciate your time, Dirk. Thanks for jumping on with me. It's such short no, short notice. And, yeah. I mean, anytime. you're it's always fun to listen to you talk. You're a funny guy. And then just generally anytime I've ever been around you and had the chance to, you know, hear you call or, you know, do any kind of seminars or anything like that, like you, you real have, you have a talent. I'm sure you put the work in for it too, but you, you're a good elk caller and I, I appreciate it. Appreciate you jumping on.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having the opportunity to come on. I love talking hunting. So
1: anytime. Yeah. Very good. Thanks, Dirk.